Flight simulation has been around for nearly 100 years. Whether it's a simple home simulator or something far more complex used in an airline environment, there's so much to gain from them when used to their full potential. But what about if you want one at home? Is it worth the money? Is it any good? Well, in this episode, I'll have a look at some simple ways to get a home set up and how to get the most out of any flight simulator session to maximise the benefit. All that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone, welcome to episode 60 of the Flight Training Australia podcast. Podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. G'day, I'm your host Trent Robinson and thank you very much for joining me. Well, flight simulation has been around, as I said, for nearly 100 years. Probably the best known early flight simulation device was the Link Trainer, produced by Mr. Edwin Link um, back in New York in the States which he started building in 1927, later patenting design, and uh, it was for sale in 1929. Originally then used in uh, show rides and at the markets and things, and it didn't really take off until later into the 30s, where the uh, United States Army used it for training mail mail delivery pilots uh, to get them more experience and exposure. If you don't know what a link trainer is, you will might have seen it basically looks like a little kid's ride uh, it's a tiny little aeroplane tiny wings and a tail but quite a tall cockpit canopy it fully encloses you in there and it's on a basic uh, gimbal system with some instruments that the pilot can maneuver the aircraft around i was very fortunate to have a go we used to have one hiding out the back of the aero club back in the 90s and uh, had a go of that one and yeah pretty crazy stuff and didn't know what I was doing at the time. Would love to have had a go again now. I know in the Ansett uh, Simulator Centre in Melbourne, there's one in the uh, the foyer area there, which uh, some of you may have seen. But really revolutionary stuff at the time. But it wasn't much use for full-scale airline operations. When we started doing emergency procedures and everything else, it was getting dangerous and accidents could result from training incidents which were designed to stop accidents in the first place. So it was a bit counterintuitive until full aircraft mock-ups were made and massive uh, rooms full of computers to run them. It wasn't until the late 90s that uh, we saw the first flight simulation options for home sim enthusiasts. So Microsoft Flight Sim 1.0 released back in 1982 right through to Microsoft Flight Sim 2020 being released now for about two years, fully pushing the envelope on flight simulation, especially with localised scenery and imagery. Of course, we've got X-Plane and other products out there as well, uh, producing high-quality flight dynamics, avionics functionality, which is really making it the most useful for home sim experience. But what do you need to make a flight sim at home, and is it worth it? Well, how do I answer most questions? Absolutely, yes, it is. But it really depends on what you want to use it for that determines where you go and what kind of investment you need to consider. 
Now you're all thinking, well, what do you mean? What do I want to use it for? I want to fly it, of course. Well, that's not what I mean. What I'm talking about is the application that you're trying to use it for. Are you doing basic training, cross-country navigation, or instrument flying? Are you using it to get familiar with a particular aircraft type? All these things are going to feed back into the flight dynamics of the software. And that's probably the first place to start, is what flight simulator software package do you want to use? And the most commonly available are Microsoft Flight Sim and X-Plane. Right now, I am building my own flight simulator. I have mentioned it in the past. It's taking me a lot of time because I'm not getting any time to do it. But over this Christmas break, I'm really going to try and uh, get stuck in. And I've got two different flight sim options. I've got Flight Sim by Microsoft, and I've also got X-Plane. And they're both going to be used for different purposes. If I'm trying to get visuals, terrain, scenery, um, realistic aircraft modeling and localized flying and also recording for some YouTube videos and that sort of thing, then Microsoft Flight Sim is probably hands down right there. The latest X-Plane 12 is starting to push on some scenery options, but for localized scenery in Australia, Microsoft Flight Sim is definitely hands down on top of that at the moment. But the beautiful thing about both of these platforms is that they are available for uh, sim builders and modders to create their own scenery packages and build them into the Flight Sim. So the structure's there. If people put the time and effort in, they can expand the scenery and make it far more realistic. To the point where with Microsoft Flight Sim right now, you could do cross-country navigation training and pretty much see everything you would expect to see on a real flight. It's really that powerful. The aircraft dynamics are fantastic. And if you wanted to go flying around, practice one of your PPL navs, uh, cross-country navexes, short of the buildings, maybe not looking quite exactly the same, some are just stock buildings that are put in place. Others are photorealistic. Again, depends on where you're flying and you might need to invest in a localized scenery package to add on to that for your area. But you will see the land features, um, all the satellite imagery that just makes it look exactly like uh, it does when you're going flying. So it's really quite impressive and be very, very useful to you. The flight simulator aircraft models are also very accurate. They have great cockpit representations. Obviously, there's a lot of variants out there, so they might not be 100% exactly how your aircraft looks, but they will be near enough and fly well enough that the speeds and the handling uh, will be fairly closely representing what it is that you want to achieve. But if you're going to go into more advanced training like IFR, well, that's where Flight Sim probably isn't quite up to speed just yet. And I feel X-Plane is the simulator package for you. Now, X-Plane 12, like I said, is out. I personally haven't used that yet. I've been X-Plane 11, and that is mostly because of its compatibility with uh, some of the equipment that I've got. The new version uh, hasn't got the compatibility software written up for some of the modules I've got, like a Garmin uh, GPS module that plugs in. So... I'm sticking with 11 and I'm not flying that for 
the total realistic scenery. What I want is the handling and the functionality of all the instrumentation and the flight model accuracy as well. So the aircraft handles just like the real thing. So if you put gear down and it pitches up, you put flap down, it pitches up, then down, whatever is going on, you want to see that in your flight models. The speeds are all similar. The power settings are similar. And then you can really start to build your instrument scan and get the feeling for all of that. So that's which way I'd go with the Sims. But either way, both will suit your purpose. One's just slightly better for one purpose and one's better for the other. But what about equipment? Now, I could probably go on all day about what sort of computer you're going to ask, and please don't email me asking because it's just how long is a piece of string, and I am not an expert in this area. There are lots of forums and help available online uh, for that sort of thing, a lot of Facebook groups for flight simulators. Um, Microsoft posts several levels of performance criteria um, that you're going to what sort of performance for what sort of CPU and what sort of graphics card, etc. that you can get. What I will tell you is to get a decent flight simulator computer, you're probably looking at spending around two and a half to $3,000. That's going to run the graphics and run all the peripherals that you're going to plug into it, like keyboards, joysticks, yokes, quadrants. We'll get into that in a minute. All right, so there's the first thing. You need to get a decently powered computer to run this software. If you're going to run photorealistic scenery, um, then put clouds over the top and fly aeroplanes and even then potentially run multiple screens if you really want to get into it, you're going to need a, a decent bit of hardware there to run all of this. So do your research and really consider what is the final sim look like in your mind and then source the appropriate PC for that. You can run on a Mac for like X-Plane. Uh, you can connect yokes and things to it, but it's definitely got a limit. So PC is the direction you need to go if you want to get stuck into it properly. Um, if it's just a little bit of tooling around, then a Mac on X-Plane will work just fine and do the job. So now for the realism. Where do we go? Well, you can use joysticks. So again, I'm not going to get too much into all the different uh, options available because there are plenty and they are getting better and better all the time. So I've just purchased the uh, Logitech X56 Hotass, which is a hands-off throttles and uh, stick system. And that comes with a joystick military style with a whole heap of buttons, knobs, and switches there for all sorts of things you want to do, plus a separate throttle quadrant, again, with a whole heap of switches, um, controls. So you could use that to fly a helicopter. You could use it to fly an airplane. You could use it for fighter jet stuff so you can have a little bit of fun and serious flight simming at the same time, and obviously a heap of switches and buttons there to be configured to do the things you want to do. If you're looking more for a conventional style yoke, then I have the Honeycomb uh, Alpha and Bravo uh, setups, which is the yoke. Uh, it's got the switches on it, mags, avionics, um, key, and a few light switches and things. And then the Bravo is the throttle quadrant setup, again, with an autopilot, a bunch of switches for lights and uh, other bits and pieces. And that's got two throttles 
two pitch levers and two mixture levers. And it also comes standard with some interchangeable, uh, they're like little magnet release levers, and they can interchange to an airline sort of configuration with speed brakes, flaps, two throttles or two power levers and uh, reverse thrusters that lift up and uh, pretty, pretty cool. I haven't actually used those yet. Um, I've just been sort of trialing the system as it is now, but for a unit that doesn't cost the earth, um, it's got a little bit of feedback in it. It feels a bit more natural compared to a lot of yokes. It's not too gimmicky. It's very well constructed and I think for a pretty decent price. All right, now I probably should add that I'm not being paid for anything. This is literally what I have um, found, and this is just the software and equipment that I've been using um, or will be using once I get this thing up and running. Now, you can also get uh, radio panels, uh, switch panels, frequencies for your comm nav, etc. These have all uh, been bought by Logitech now as well, so they've really taken over a lot of the gear here and they are all software supported and you can again build your own uh, panel you can make it out of whatever you want to make it out of have a monitor and a screen there and then your controls and that will work really really well i've also got some rudder pedals um again got the thrustmaster uh, rudder pedals they're about 800 bucks but very real um feeling and inputs were really really good and just the other cheaper sort of couple hundred dollar versions the thrustmaster ones and logitech ones and that they're just very plasticky and just out of control almost there's no real resistance so your feet are sliding back and forward and it was just going everywhere i wanted to have something that was fairly realistic a for taxing but more so for multi-engine engine failure scenarios um, something that had a little bit of resistance and, and feel to it and more realistic feet position for the brakes. So that's what I've got set up here. Now, if you're pushing into VFR flying, that's like ample. You, you can even get away without rudder pedals, just kind of just take off, um, use the aileron interlinked with the rudders and it'll get off near enough. It won't be quite pretty, but it'll do the job and save you some money there. IFR, what you need to do to have it more realistic and useful, I feel, is you need to have access to some knobs and switches. Now, if you want to try and program the GPS and you're having to click on the screen, your eyes are not where they should be. It's distracting and you really need to pause it, set everything up and then resume which again can work, but you definitely don't want to try and be doing all that whilst you're flying. You're just not going to be maintaining height. You're not going to be flying like you would in real life. So there's no point. All right. So you would pause it, enter your flight plan, load your approaches, set your frequencies, and then off you go from there. Alternatively, as I said, some of these panels have knobs and switches on them that you can actually use. Um, but I have the RealSim Garmin 530. Uh, it's a realistic looking Garmin 530. It's got a screen with the knobs and the soft keys all around it. And I can set that up and use it just like I would in the airplane, a Garmin 430 or 530 or any other. 
So RealSim have uh, GTN uh, software versions as well for GPS touchscreen versions. Um, I don't know if the SIM itself is actually touchscreen. I'm sure it probably is because they're all available these days. I haven't used that, but there's heaps of options. You can even get full Cirrus setup or G1000 panels. I'm not doing that because I'm not using that kind of aircraft, and if I really wanted to, then I could load up the screen as a G1000, but just with limited functionality because I wouldn't have all the soft keys set up all around it. So you can see the problem. You want it to be realistic, but it wants to be functional. And this is where the likes of a Cat D full level simulator that you could do a full endorsement on for an airline, or that's what I used uh, at CareFlight for my King Air training. I uh, did the whole endorsement in the simulator. And the first time I flew the airplane for real was on a ap- normal operational sortie with uh, doctor and patient on board. It's a full mock-up of the cockpit. Looking at the home system, We don't want to try and have it work for too many different aircraft types because you're going to lose functionality and realism there. So you want to have a heading bug. You want to have another knob that you can turn for the course deviation indicator and um, maybe something that you can put the altimeter in. But again, you could probably get away with that. There are systems uh, available, uh, Knobster and a few other things that you can make your own knobs. and install them into your panel so that you can have them sitting there. And that will work. And then you can change the instrumentation layout, which is on your actual monitor or screen. It will take a little bit of time to try and set up and work out what you want to do. But this functionality will make it far more realistic and actually usable and enjoyable. I already get a bit frustrated if I'm having to constantly trying to get the mouse to click on things um, and make it do what I want it to do because I haven't got everything set up yet. I've literally just got these things sitting on the desk and uh, the rest of it's in boxes. So that's what I strongly recommend for VFR flying. Um, Just either platform, but if you're going for the graphics um, to be realistic for your area of operation, then Flight Sim's definitely the go. A basic yoke or joystick will do the job and you can pot around like that. If you're wanting to utilize the avionics much more in a realistic manner like you would in the aircraft, then X-Plane's probably the better option to go to and has a lot of compatibility um, with existing panels so that the displays and the soft keys and everything will be there. And then you can look at trying to make your own cockpit set up and layout. Um, Incredibly brief and generalized view on it all. But like I said, we could probably talk for hours on this and I am definitely not that person to be talking about it. But if you would like to know more information, um, then I do know a few people that are wizards in this area and maybe I can set up an interview with them and you can send me your questions. So once you've got the sim, how can you get the most out of it? And the answer to that is actually quite simple. Treat it as if it's real. Now, whether this is the flight sim at your flying school, um, again, I hope that you get access to it. I, uh, at our school at Darwin Flight Training, we use the sim for uh, RPL training for the initial uh, two hours for the IF there, right the way through to the instrument training. Okay, we even do our first navigation exercise in our sim. We've got an elite desktop sim, three screens, uh, really great unit. The graphics are nice, 
They're not photorealistic, but they've got enough of the terrain and geographic landmarks uh, to sort of orientate yourself and figure out where you are and practice the drills, your clear-offs and, and all that sort of thing as you go along. But from a realism point of view, what I mean is treat it as if it's a real aeroplane. Go through the checklists. Now, if it's limited and it's functionality, then just walk through them and look at all the places uh, or the items that would be on the checklist so you're doing it. When you have frequencies, try and set the frequencies. Again, if you've got a ComNav panel that you've actually got tactile physical knobs that you can change the frequencies, do so. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, why would I do that? Like, you know, I know how to change a frequency. I don't need to practice it. It's not about that, especially from an instrument point of view. It's about looking away from your primary instruments and having a distraction, like having to set a frequency that's not already set, using the GPS that's not set up the way it needs to be set up. Anything that's going to take your attention away from the instrument panel and your primary scan, um, it's worthwhile doing. All right, so if you do it in the aeroplane, do it in the sim. Treat the handling of the aircraft as you would the real thing. Do your procedures. Handle it sensibly. Uh, climb properly. Don't just pole it around and do whatever you want to do. Get the flows, your checklists, all those sort of things that you would do, do it in the sim, and you will get the maximum benefit out of it. If you have engine failures or any other sort of emergencies, again, treat them like they're real. Take it seriously. And this will enhance your skills and exposure to these sort of things and, and really help you for when you get into the aircraft itself, be in a really good position to um, be safe and be much more familiar with something or a certain drill or procedure than having just learnt it on your original checkout and not touched it since. So definitely some uh, ideas there on how you can get the maximum value out of a sim. Uh, there's heaps to, uh, like I said, expand on and, and go through there. But I think there's some basics just to start your thinking and uh, get you over it. One word of warning, if you're not much of a uh, tech-savvy person, if you're not much of a computer person, I would probably tend to just use someone else's or hire the one at the flying school. Uh, you'll probably tear your hair out, get frustrated with it, and it'll just won't be a fun experience. So don't go ahead and do that if that's the case. Um, try and use somebody else's. But like I said, there's heaps of forums and uh, Facebook groups out there that love this sort of thing. And look, I've got friends that have had full-blown 737 simulators with a 1,000 USB cables in the back. I would probably tear my hair out what little I've got left. Um, trying to manage and handle something like that they, they can get really quite full on but so much fun uh, but I think if you do get into it once you start you've really got to set yourself a budget or you're going to get um, a little bit lost in all of it and just start wanting more and more gear and equipment and realism until uh, you've just about spent as much money as you could on a real aeroplane alright guys so if you do have some uh, sim builds of your own, let me know. Um, I'd love to see them. And uh, as I've said, just anything you send me, I will put you into the draw for a, a Flight Training Australia hat. And I'll draw that each month and mail that to you. 
Well, guys, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, give me a buzz at info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can look me up at Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Trent Robinson Aviation. And, um, yeah, I would love to hear from you. I've got some more questions left over from the last couple of mailbag episodes, so I will get to those very soon. As you're listening to this, I've probably just got off the plane in uh, Broome, I'm heading off to Broome this week to spend some time with the guys at Broome Aviation, a bunch of IPCs and getting them all ready and I will uh, report back on that the following week when I get home. All right, everyone, have a fantastic week. Enjoy the weather, uh, fly hard, have a great time and as always, remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. See you, everyone. <laughs>